0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading, uh, we're still in Matthew 5. It is Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are the meek, sorry, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Thus says the word of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer now as we uh, consider what he has to teach us this morning. Father, we need you. Uh, we really need you. Um, the kind of life that you lay out, Lord Jesus, and the Beatitudes is a life that, that is completely upside down and against our nature. Um, Our our desires, our lives, our hearts, our minds, our souls race in the opposite direction. Uh, We don't want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to hunger and thirst for success and money and sex and fame and fun and reputation and applause and attention and on and on and on and on and on we can go. But we do not want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, God, we need your Spirit to come this morning to turn our desires to you, to make our cravings for you, to make the not just the words of our mouths but uh, the true nature of our souls and hearts to want to be where you are, to got to be where you are. Oh, God, to want our lives... Just like the billions of galaxies and stars that you've made to want our lives to not reflect us, but reflect you and your glory. We need you to come to rescue us from our addiction to self, our addiction to our own needs and wants. Oh God, we need you to come and to break us this morning, to break us with your love. To break us with your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. Because God, you want us to feast on that which is real bread and real wine and real nutrition. And that's what you offer us this morning. So even as we prepare to come to these tables this morning, God, I pray that we would be hungry for You and You would create that in us this morning. So when we do come to the table, we are eating and drinking in faith that the body and blood of Jesus is what we need more than anything. Oh God, make it so. For Your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. What? I mean, has anybody in here been blessed in the midst of being hungry and thirsty? I mean, have any of us enjoyed and just been satisfied? Man, I am so hungry. Praise be to God. Come on. And that's the point. You see, Jesus is there to get our attention this morning. He wants to get our attention. He points to the strongest desire we have. What? Yeah, hunger is the strongest desire we had. It was actually proven in a in a test on mice. And I don't know. Maybe we're, we're, there's some comparison there between mice and us. But when mice are have eaten they will always, when given the choice of food or social interaction with other mice, they'll always choose social interaction with other mice. But when they're hungry, they will always reject social interaction and they will go straight to the food. And what's interesting about that is it really doesn't matter the nature of that food. You see, as we all know, you can... Pour a little rat poison out in a corner and you can go to bed and you may not see the dead mouse, but you're going to smell that dead mouse after about two, three, four, five days because mice are not very discerning. When they are hungry, they will eat anything, even if it kills them. And I don't know about you, but I see a lot of similarity with myself. You see, we are fallen, broken people. And when given the choice of unrighteousness and righteousness, we're going to take most of the time, we're going to take what's most readily accessible. We are not very discerning when it comes to what we eat. We just want to eat. We just want to fill that void in our souls. Even with the warnings, we, we, we push them away. My wife and I, we we watch Wheel of Fortune. I actually make my wife watch Wheel of Fortune, and I love Wheel of Fortune. I'm a Wheel of Fortune uh, junkie, and every night they have those horrible um, um, commercials of people that have some type of cancer or something, throat cancer, and they're talking, and you're like, who in the world would smoke after that commercial? And there are millions of people that smoke after that commercial. And what Jesus is saying this morning is, we are no different. And we need to be different. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not just for anything, but who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. We have a choice. Are we going to feast on righteousness or are we going to feast on the drive through Unrighteousness. Are we going to feast what's really going to satisfy our soul or are we going to feast what's easy and just kind of looks and feels like good food? That's what before us, that's what before is before us this morning. Jonathan Pennington is a a New Testament scholar and, and he has done a lot of digging into the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of his digging is into this word blessed. It's the Greek word makarios. And, and what it means is, is a state of being in the world that brings flourishing. It's not do this and God's going to make your life comfortable. Hear me. It's not live this way and then God is going to bless you with health, wealth, and prosperity. No. But what it is, is if you get in this lane... Feasting on the things that I have made you for, so says God, then you will be flourished. You will be blessed. Paul David Tripp puts it like this. If God's primary purpose was to deliver to you a comfortable life, He's a massive failure. No. He's committed to giving you something vastly better and eternally more significant. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's unpack it. To hunger and thirst for righteousness blesses or flourishes us because to do so demands we not feed on unrighteousness. It's not rocket science. (laughs) Uh, the only thing that makes it rocket science when it comes to living our lives is the fact of our fallen cravings and our falling, fallen desires. You see, Rachel and I have been working over the last several months to eat better, to cut out the bad carbs, the sugar, and to eat good carbs or no carbs, protein, the good stuff. And when you do that, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what your body responds your body responds to the good stuff, and it responds to the bad stuff. And that's what Jesus is really getting at at the most basic level. If you hunger and thirst for unrighteousness, your life is going to move in a bad direction. You're going to become more hungry. You, you eat McDonald's, you're hungry 20 minutes later. Because it's not real food. Unless you eat a salad, I guess. But that's typically iceberg, and it just kind of goes through you too. But that's for another sermon, all right? Spending time with one of our men recently, and he told me that um, he was offered his dream job a few months ago. He said he and his wife and their children could live anywhere they wanted to. Um, and he could do what he knows he can do, and he could make a whole lot of money. He and his wife went out to dinner with, I think, the CEO, but one of the people there to hire him, and the the CEO, what is it called, CEO, president, leader, whatever, leader's wife at dinner looked at his wife and said, you know, you need to understand that This job owns him. When he takes this job, it owns him. It owns his time. It owns him in every way. And as long as you understand that, you'll be good. Our member and his wife were walking back to their hotel when he just started crying. And he sat down on the curb and his wife was like, what? They just had this amazing dinner and this amazing time. We're offered this amazing job with a whole lot of money. And he said, I know God does not want me to take this job. And he didn't take it. I'll be 54 this week. I've been in ministry over 30 years. I've walked with a lot of men and women facing that same decision, I've seen very few that have turned it down. And I've watched 30 years of how those kind of decisions, those those decisions that seem like, oh, you can justify it so easily, oh, think of what I can do for my family, think of what I can do for my church. And I look at the children, and I look at the men and women, and I see that they have all, both the husband, both the wife, both the children, they have all paid the price. It's not that money and work and hard work is bad, but when you make it your ultimate, when you make it your righteousness, when you make it that which you set up and hunger for more than anything else, it will shrink your soul and you will not win. You will not flourish. Hear me, friends. This is what Jesus is saying. You will flourish when you say no to unrighteousness. When you deny your cravings for what is fast, what is easy, and what you can control for what God would have for your life. The kind of flourishing, the kind of blessing that He would have for you. Jesus says just a couple of chapters over, no one can serve two masters For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Do you hear me? You cannot serve God and money. Is money bad? No, but when you serve it, it's bad because it owns you. You don't own it. You are its slave, and you literally cannot give it away. There are such. It is so rare to find somebody, and it does exist. Praise be to God. But it's so rare to find somebody that went after that dream and they really give away the kind of money they thought they would on the front end when they made it. It's so rare because the money owns them. If you give yourself to money, you can't give yourself to God. Likewise, if you give yourself to your job, you can't give yourself to your spouse and your children. You serve what you serve. If you serve unrighteousness, you will not flourish. Why? Because we cannot change the DNA of our soul. To primarily go after money, to primarily go after getting married, (laughs) to primarily go after doing good, to primarily go after anything outside of true righteousness, which we're going to see what that is at the end will dry you up. Why? Because you and I were created for so much more. It's not that God wants to kill our desiring. C.S. Lewis put it best. I mean, you can't say it any better than C.S. Lewis. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. What? You want money? You think that is all I made you for? You think that's the capacity of your soul? No, we're just half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, a vacation at the sea for us Americans. That's what he's saying. We are far too easily Pleased. If you feast on unrighteousness, you will not flourish. If you feast on righteousness, you will flourish. But we need to understand something. This is typically where the church goes into softening the message. But here's where I want to go with it. Exactly what Jesus, the point that Jesus is making. If we say no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness, it will be its own kind of suffering. Right. Right. Jesus is calling us to suffer. When that man in our church sat down on that curb and he was weeping, what he was experiencing was the death of a dream. It was the denial of what he truly wanted for what he knew he truly needed. Do you see it? And dear friends, that's the choice that is before you and I on a daily basis over and over and over and over again. To live a beatitude kind of life is deep foolishness, not just to others, but to you and me. It feels like foolishness. In that moment, our member felt like God was against him, not for him. Have you ever been there? I mean, when you choose to tithe... When you choose to say, I'm going to give at least 10% of my income to the church when your friends are buying new cars, I mean, how many times have we thought it? Man, that's a car note. (laughs) That's a new outfit. That's a dinner out. That's the vacation. That's this. That's that. It's foolishness, not just to other people, but to us it seems like foolishness. I mean, come on, a little... Do you see it when you, when you don't sleep with that date? When you don't hook up on Tinder like everybody else is? Oh, come on. I'm 35. I'm an adult. I, I support myself. I've got an incredible job. Come on, Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus. Yet the cost results... In true fulfillment. You see, the gods of this world are so in our grasp. They're right there. We can have it. We can run the streets and we can get the fast cash and not go to school and not go to trade school. And we can get the fast money. We can get it. We can get the women. We can get the men. We can get the fast cars. We can get the house. We can get the lake house. We, it's within our grasp. It's within our control. And it's suffering to say no to it. You see, hungering for righteousness puts us in a position of weakness. These are all personal matters, but let's say kind of the direction of our lives. T- t- we, the-, the church is getting woke, if you will. The, the church is waking up to the issues of justice, to the issues of racial uh, disparity, marginalization, mass incarceration. Uh, Memphis being the the, um, the poorest city in the country, and on and on and on we go. And that that is why, for a large extent, we have the amount of people we do here. Ten years ago, uh, my wife and I literally thought this was not going to be. And yet, but God, He wakes the church up. He says, hey, it's not just you and Jesus in a closet. It's love God and your neighbor. And you can't even say you love God if you hate your neighbor. And when you, and and hating your neighbor is leaving him dead and broke and wounded on the side of the road, crossing over to get to your religious meeting. I mean, that's what loving your neighbor is all about, that's what justice is. It's saying whatever God has given me, He's not given to me for me. He's given it to me for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor. And my whole life, if I'm, if, if I have a great intellect and I've got to use that as a, as a, I've got to steward that for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor. Not for my career. Not for my comfort. That's what justice is. We move toward the brokenness. We move toward the pain. Sarah uh, Lockridge-Steckel is um, part of this church family. I went to an event they had. Um, she, She started the collective about a year ago. And it's addressing the reality that we have about thirty thousand unemployed, eighteen to thirty-year-olds in Memphis. Thirty thousand, and if we just take that one reality, uh, another member of our church has started a um, a program, uh, really revamped a nonprofit where he brings in... He, he looked at um, those that were getting out of prison, that this program that was taking those getting out of prison, training them and then sending them to a job, and most were not keeping those jobs. Because none of us get anywhere without others. And so we had this idea, well, what if we put people with them? We, we pair one shepherd, we're going to call them, to five to six people, and, and, and we're going to get the companies to pay for them because they're going to realize the benefit, and sure enough... The the results are going off. Why? Because someone is vested in their lives. Someone's calling them. Someone is pursuing them. Someone's helping them get to work. Someone is helping them in the financial crisis. Someone is helping them get a driver's license. Someone is helping them get um, um, a treatment if that's what whatever it's needed. Someone is there pouring into them, saying, "I'm for you." Being a cheerleader and not just clapping, but picking them up and moving along with them, and it's working like crazy. But guess what? There are 30,000 people. So what's it going to take? It's going to take us. And that's just one issue in this broken city. Do you get the point? It's going to feel like suffering. Families that come to this church feel it immediately. Our nursery, our youth group, they're not like... The nurseries and youth groups and out in other parts of town. The facility. We're just hoping it all stays up there. You are taking a risk coming to downtown church. Following Jesus is dangerous. If only I were kidding. You get the point. As parents, I feel it. Oh, you can call me to anything, but not my children. So how are we going to do this? Thirdly and finally, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is fueled by the certainty that real filling is coming. Well, here we go, man. You, You know I look for every opportunity to talk about grilling meat in my sermons. Uh... This is a softball, hunger and thirst for righteousness. All right, well here we go. I grew up really by a grill. My dad would come home and pretty much every weekend he would put he would prepare a big piece of meat, a pork shoulder or something, and he would put it on that grill, big thing of bologna. Anybody have just good smoked bologna? Whoo! Mercy. I say this toward the end because I know, we're, you know, we're going to get to lunch soon. We're going to get to lunch soon. So it's not going to be a lot of suffering, I hope. Um, but I, I learned a lot about the kingdom of God and about this beatitude standing by my father. But you see, I learned really more than my stepbrothers and even my brother. I was the only one that would hang out with him. But I learned that if you hang out with your father at the grill, What happens? You get though, you get, yeah. They're going to pick a little meat off. And if you're there just kind of acting, oh, so content, what are you going to do? You want a bite? Oh, yeah. What are you thinking about that? But, uh yeah, I'd love a bite. When you stand by your father at the grill, you get fed. But you have to wait. I also learned... There were many days where I didn't stand by my father at the grill. There were a lot of days where I went and I ate a bunch of candy. I couldn't wait. It's going to be three hours. Are you kidding me? And I would go eat a bunch of junk, and then he'd put it on the table, and I would kind of look at it and go, This is what Jesus is saying. It couldn't be any more clear. We've got to stand by our father at the grill and know that the feast is coming, and it's worth it. It's better. You can go this morning and be filled with something. You can turn to something. What is it that you turn to? What is it in every conversation? Are you trying to get praise? Are you trying to get get uh, you know accolades? I mean, what is it? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it what is it that you're after? Jesus says, whatever it is is not going to satisfy you, but I will. From beginning to end, think about the first temptation and the first sin. What did did God tell uh, Adam and Eve? He said, hey, out of all the trees of the garden, man, check check them all out. Look at all this fruit just flourishing in the garden. And hey, there's only one tree you can't eat from. I mean, there it is. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, not unrighteousness. And what did we choose? We chose unrighteousness. And so God doesn't give up. He keeps coming. He feeds His people Israel. He delivers them from slavery, leads them through. They're in the desert. And what does He say? Hey, I'm going to feed you. Just wake up in the morning and pick it up and understand how good I am. And at the end of the week, you know, before the Sabbath day, um, you know, pick up a little more and, and, and it's going to last you through the next day. You don't, you're going to have a day off from picking up food. I'm going to feed you. And we see in Isaiah 55, that it was, it was all just metaphorical. It was all to lead them to the true bread of life. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for, what, for, for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourselves. Delight yourselves. He wants you to delight yourselves in rich food. Oh, and then Jesus, He feeds the people. He takes a few small loaves and fish and makes it enough to feed 5,000 and 6,000. I mean, they follow Him across the, uh, the lake when He... Um, goes to the other side and they get there and he says, hey, you guys just follow me because you're looking for food to fill your stomachs. But guess what? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then just one chapter over in John chapter 7, he stands before the people at the great feast The reality when they're celebrating the salvation of God and His deliverance. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But guess what, dear friends? Jesus has been glorified today. And His Spirit will fill your soul in such a way that you will not thirst and you will not hunger anymore. That was His conversation with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, woman, you're coming for water. You're you're, you're dropping that bucket down, and you're getting water, and you're going to have to come back this afternoon. You're going to have to come back tomorrow morning. You're going to have to come back tomorrow night. You're going to have to come back the next day. He said, hey, I'm going to give you water that will quench your thirst. And she said, hey, I want this water. And he said, okay, well, go get your husband. Oh, well, he gets into her sex life. Well, I've had five, and the guy I'm living you know, or, or he, Jesus tells, Yeah, you've had five. The one you're living with now is not. And what's he saying? I've got something better. Dip the bucket of your heart, not into sex, not into thinking that men can satisfy your soul, but I can satisfy your soul. And then Jesus, on the cross, right before he gave up his spirit, you remember what he said? Two words I thirst. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus experienced separation from His Father. Jesus experienced judgment and condemnation and shame for the sin of His people. And He took it on Himself and He cries out, I thirst so that you and I don't have to thirst anymore. He got thirsty so we can be filled with Him, dear friends. Do you need to be filled? Are you at a point in your life? This is what it means to become a Christian. It means to get to a point in your life, for God to bring you to a point in your journey when you have tasted and feasted on something. It's not everybody in here eats. But have you gotten to the point that you realize that your ambition... Set in a very determined way on the things of this world is not going to fill you. Did the, the hookup last night or last week or a year ago? Did the education you've poured yourself into and now you're in a job you hate? What, whatever what is it? You're married and it's not what you thought it was going to be. You've been single, but your hope has really been in finding a mate. Do you understand that Jesus stands before every single one of us and what it means to come to Jesus is say, this life will not fill me and I give up. I want you. I trust you to fill my soul. Would you fill my soul? And dear friends, when you start there, guess what? You're going to wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to be hungry again and your job's still not going to fill you. It's going to be worse tomorrow because your eyes are going to be opened. And you're going to want to find other things. You're going, Oh, now I'm a Christian. Now God's going to make life work out. And then you go and you realize, no, He doesn't make life work out. It may get hard. No, it will get harder. But He offers Himself every second of every day. Have you turned your soul to Jesus? Christian, are you feasting on Jesus? The reason you're so miserable this morning, the reason you're so dry, the reason you're prayerless is because you're not feasting your soul on Jesus. Get alone with Him and give your heart to Him. Determine that He is the only one that will fill your soul. Be still before Him. Receive Him daily, hundreds of times a day, as you see your heart wandering, and He will fill you. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You stand before these tables and You say, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give You rest. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You stand before these tables and You say, I am the bread of life. He who eats of this bread... (laughs) It will well up into eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you say, here is the cup of the covenant in your blood that washes our sin away, that takes our shame away, that reconciles us to you, O Father, to your love, to your acceptance, to the washing away of all a billion sins and disappointments in the past and even in the future, so that we might know you and you might have us as your own. Oh God, do that work in us this morning. We need You in this place. Bring us to these tables broken and hungry and fill us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.